Today's episode is sponsored by Autodesk Graphic. Graphic is a full-featured app for making icons, illustrations, UI, and UX, or anything else you'd need out of a professional vector design app. Open, edit, and save raster or vector images, layered Photoshop or Illustrator files, CSS, SVG, PDF, and just about any other file format you can think of. You can open an AI file and export it to clean CSS code or a web-ready SVG with just a few clicks. It's available on your Mac, phone, and iPad, so you can design without compromise on the go. It's the vector design app you've been waiting for your iPad Pro and Apple Pencil. Visit graphic.com to learn more about Autodesk Graphic or find it in the App Store today. So let's say we've come up with this crazy new technology to transport humans 4.3 light years to Proxima B. That's exactly what it sounds like. So you were exploring the surface. So what what would it be like? I mean, for one, you your day wouldn't start with a sunrise, nor would you see a sunset because Proxima B is what is tidally locked. So it's kind of like the moon is to Earth. It's always facing, one side is always facing Proxima Centauri, its sun, and one side is always facing out into space. So if you're on the day side, it's just constantly bathed in light. And if you were to look up at the sun, it would be way more massive than the sun looks like to us out here on Earth because it's so much closer to Proxima Centauri. It'd also be glowing red because Proxima Centauri is a red dwarf. So the the sky would look very, very alien to us here on on our planet. Another thing is if you were to stick around on Proxima Proxima B long enough, you might see the sun kind of wig out and flare and get super bright. And if that's the case, then you'd probably get sprayed with a lot more (laughs) solar radiation too. But, you know, there is this chance that maybe you, if we're really lucky, that there's water pooling on the surface of Proxima B, and maybe, just maybe, there are aliens, little organisms, maybe they're glowing brightly to deal with the flaring star, but it's possible. We, we can't rule it out, is, is, is the case, but... So, so what you're saying is, like, the best case scenario is I wake up on a sunset and sunriseless planet where I'm pelted with radiation and I might be able to drink alien water and eat alien organisms that are also themselves radiated. Yeah, but you probably wouldn't last very long because our bodies can't handle the amount of radiation that that planet gets. Man, I can't wait to talk about how we're going to live here one day. Hello, and welcome to What's Tech, a podcast from TheVerge.com. I am your humble host, Christopher Thomas Plant. Today, I am joined by my friend and colleague, science reporter at TheVerge.com, Lauren Grush. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. It's fall time, which means it's only 96 degrees oh, in Austin, lovely. Texas. Mm, it is the finest weather. The temperature is slow, just, just slowly dropping in New York, but I've already decided it's time for socks and boots. In pumpkin spice lattes. I won't go that far. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Um, let's talk about the pumpkin spice latte of planets. <laughs> Proxima Centauri B. What is Proxima Centauri B? 
Proxima Centauri B, or by the its more colloquial term, Proxima B, uh, is a planet that is ordering the closest star to our solar system, Proxima Centauri. Okay. Why is it named that? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> well, I, Proxima Centauri is Latin for near Centaurus, and since cent- the star is in the Centaurus constellation, it makes sense that that's why it's called that. And then usually when you have a planet that's orbiting a star, they don't really give it um, great names at first. It's usually just, you know, the star's name plus A, B, or C. So... That's why we've got Proxima B. It's very sure that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, who found this planet and how did they do that? So it was recently discovered by uh, researchers with the European Southern Observatory, and like when you find most exoplanets, we don't actually usually see them directly, right? They're very far away, so it's not like we can just use a telescope and look at them. Plus, they're orbiting around really bright stars, right? So the light from the star is going to completely overshadow any light reflecting off of a planet's surface. So we have to use these kind of really creative methods for finding them. One method is to observe the dimming of stars. You know, sometimes a planet will cross in front of a star, between the star and Earth, and you can kind of see just a slight dip in the star's brightness, which indicates that a planet is there. But not all planets transit in front of a a star. That's what it's called. So instead, what they did with this star is they actually observed little variations in the star's movement. So whenever a planet orbits around a star, it can actually, it's it's tiny little gravity. It may not be much compared to the star, but it's still there. Its gravity can like tug on the star and cause it to wobble just really slightly. And then we can measure those wobbles from Earth by looking at the star's light and how it changes. And I mean, it's very minuscule stuff, but it's just enough for us to be able to calculate, you know, where the star is and and how big we think it is. Okay, so from what I understand, this is a place that one day I will not live, but <laughs> no. some portion of my bloodline, if, <laughs> okay, probably not. <laughs> okay, that maybe this planet is somehow habitable. Right. Why, what makes it that way? That's the thing. And it's potentially habitable. We don't know okay. if it, it is habitable. So that's the thing. Like, we haven't seen it, right? We, we just know it's there based on how Proximentari is shaking. Okay. Give, give me the optimist side of this. So the optimist <laughs> side okay. is, okay, the, the good news is they think it's about the size of Earth, uh, about 1.3 times the size of Earth. And it's because of that size, it's possibly rocky, most likely rocky, not like a gas giant or anything. And the cool thing is it's in this sweet Goldilocks zone of a star called the habitable zone. And that's where we are located in our solar system. And it's the, it's the distance from a star where the temperatures are just right so that water can exist in a liquid form on the planet's surface. So... It's possible that because this planet is rocky and it's like Earth, it may have, you know, water on its surface as well. So that's the optimistic view. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so wait, what's, what's the not optimistic? Let's call it pessimistic The view. pessimistic view is that we have absolutely no idea what this place looks like. <laughs> also, it orbits its sun way closer than 
we orbit our sun because Proxima Centauri is not like our sun at all. It's a red dwarf, so it's uh, much smaller and it's much cooler. So that its habitable zone is going to be a lot closer, right? Because it has less temperature. But that means that the planet gets like doused with way more, <laughs> way more radiation than we do. And like I said, it was tidally locked. So you've got one side that's experiencing constant sunlight and you've got one side that's experiencing constant darkness. There aren't any seasons there. So I wouldn't call this planet Earth-like at all. It just has some similarities to Earth. And that's a, and that's <sighs> And it, it and it may have some similarities to Earth. We don't know really, just the size and its location. Um, and it's we only know the minimum size. We don't even know if it it could be bigger. Uh, but the whole point of why it's so cool is because it's the closest planet we may ever find outside of our solar system, and it is in this cool spot, this habitable zone, so that it it's possible that mm. life could be growing on it it's possible we don't know but i mean possible. it sounds like the b in proxima centauri b stands for bad like bad <laughs> no. earth this is the earth but like not good not fun yeah uh i mean it, it wouldn't be fun for us might be fun for whatever creatures have evolved over <laughs> on oh, it yeah well i mean not to be rude but i don't care about them <laughs> all like, right <laughs> i'm selfish like that <laughs> well a lot of astronomers do oh i mean if it could like I don't know. Maybe maybe these creatures are like fun. Maybe they know like how to teach me fun new games or like songs. Or maybe they're just like they're probably just slime, aren't they? Yeah, we don't know. Ah, dang it. Okay, <laughs> so what do we what like do we ha- want to learn about them? Let's say kind of in our lifetime. Right. So whenever you find an exciting exoplanet like this, the goal is to take a look at its atmosphere because. You know, the search for exoplanets, we, we really do want to find alien life. It's very much tied to why we're looking for exoplanets. And one way to know if there's life on the surface is to see the gases that surround the planet. So, for instance, oxygen in our atmosphere is a very big indicator that we are here. If all of life disappeared on our planet, the oxygen would quickly disappear. So... Basically, astronomers want to take a peek at atmospheres of exoplanets to find gases like oxygen or, you know, methane is a big one, too, that may indicate uh, a biological source on the planet below. I mean, that assumes that, like, all life will require the same things we require. But I guess that's, like, our best bet. I mean, that's better than nothing, right? Yeah, it's kind of like go with what you know, right? So one of the biggest holy grails, I guess, would be to find an atmosphere that looks really close to Earth. Because if you find that, that's going to be pretty indicative that there is life below, you know, because we know that that our light, our world is teeming with life and we know exactly where all the atmospheric components come from. How long would it take to travel there? And, and I'm being realistic here, so this is a big step for me. How far are we from creating the necessary technology to even, like, start traveling there? It would take us tens of thousands of years to travel. Oh, great. Perfect. (laughs) Um, It's 4.3 million light years away. Or no, sorry. It's 4.3 light years away. This is so much worse than I thought it would be when when I scheduled this podcast with you. I I really thought, like, my great-great-great-grandchildren were, like, going to get a shot at this one. Yeah, I mean... That was a stupid thing for me to think. I'm realizing now, <laughs> as I say it, like, 
Wow, Chris, you sound really ignorant. <laughs> well, the pro yeah, it's 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 okay. We can talk about traveling there for sure. Okay. Uh, I mean, think of the Voyager mission, right? Like we've already sent spacecraft out into deep space, and sure. uh, but Voyager has been traveling for like forty years, and it's still like point. I think like 0.005% of the way to the star system. So it's definitely Perfect. not going to be something. If we were to send something there with conventional propulsion means that we have today, it would not reach the planet for many, many, many generations. However, there has been some buzz around this thing called Starshot. And it was proposed by Yuri Milner and Stephen Hawking and all these big scientists. And it's this idea of sending a teeny tiny spacecraft to the Alpha Centauri system, which is has Proxima Centauri in it, using a giant laser beam from Earth. And it would propel like a, a sail, basically, a very thin solar sail and it would jettison it so fast across the universe that it would get there in 20 years what (laughs) what i'm i'm sorry no that like you can't that that doesn't make sense to me i mean so there's this like show called hard knocks on hbo yeah i I I promise this is going in place okay and there's like a football player on the show who does not believe the dinosaurs are real and it's like it's like sad but also charming but i kind of like laughed at this but now you're telling me that we're able to cut space travel from uh thousands of years to 20 years and i kind of feel like that guy where i'm like no that doesn't that doesn't check out my head well like, I, I think you're a smart person because uh i think a lot of people are very skeptical about this i mean okay. the idea is that this the spacecraft would have to be incredibly small so small you know that it it's light enough to to go this fast and be propelled by this laser to something i think it's like uh one-fifth the speed of light right that's how fast it would be going and that's why it would only take 20 years but there's all of these questions about you know can you fit even like a camera on something that small and the the sail that would take it like that would have to be connected to the the spacecraft would have to be so thin but also durable enough to withstand going at that speed through you know interstellar space and i think there was a recent there's some there was a recent study it hasn't been published yet but basically saying that it would be so deteriorated by dust on the way there that it would be like not even be able to function or it would it would just it would take a lot out of the spacecraft to travel that far that fast. So there's a lot of questions about it, but the idea of sending something that fast and that soon, something within our lifetime is definitely exciting and I'm not going to say don't look into it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I mean it's great. Like it just sounds impossible, but you know <laughs> that's what they said about putting a man on the moon. There you go. Yeah, things are only impossible until you do them. That's so true. And you, you, you came up with that quote too. I, I did. <laughs> that's really to good. You. Really good. Um, okay, one final question, and this is like kind of pop level. But what are the difficulties of working towards something? when you know it won't happen in your lifetime or like even the lifetime of your great, great grandchildren? Like how do you stay motivated or how do these people stay motivated? You know, that's a really good question. I remember I spoke with Alan Stern recently who he's a principal investigator of the New Horizons mission. And they're the ones that sent the spacecraft to Pluto, which rendezvoused last summer. And he was saying like, you have to be able to design 
the mission so that it it gets there within your lifetime. You know, because I'm assuming that yeah, if 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 it's if it's not happening while you're alive, like what's the motivation of getting it done? I feel like I would have a really hard time staying motivated. And you know, I don't know the whole great grandkids thing. I mean, yeah, it's got to be tough. You want to see re- results now. I mean, the th- the thing with space travel is it's got a lot of patience. You have to have a lot of patience involved, right? Like even this this new mission that that I guess has just launched after we air this episode. Yeah. Um, it's going to take seven years to get a, a tiny sample from an asteroid, the OSIRIS-REx mission, to bring it back to Earth. That's such a long time. But I can't imagine it, having that same kind of motivation to, to pull something off when you're not going to be around to see it. I wonder, this is like rampant speculation for the yeah. end of this, but I wonder if that will be a flaw of like kind of our generation and the era in which we live. Because when I think of like... I don't know, a long time ago, let's say not even a long time ago, like beyond 100, 200 years ago, like whenever you read about families, it was like understood like, oh, well, I'm making way for my son and his daughter and her son to like maybe one day escape like utter poverty. (laughs) That, you know, that was like a long, long time ago, just like basics. It was understood that like you tried to make the best for future generations in your family line to succeed. Mm-hmm. And it seems like a thing that like I would never... I mean, I, I want, like obviously, uh, the best for any future living things that like come down from my line. But like I don't think that's like a thing that our generation thinks about in quite the same way. Maybe they do, but I don't know. I feel like maybe we're, we're a little bit spoiled. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. And it might make it harder because, you know, there's a lot of people out there that don't necessarily think exploring the universe is that important compared to like things like poverty and yeah you know uh making things better for your family here on earth so it might even be harder to sustain that motivation given that these things take so long and a lot of patience but i really hope that we don't lose sight of that because i think learning more about our universe is kind of the fundamental thing that makes us human, right? Like, we have this capability to be introspective and look back and be like, are we the only ones here? You know, where did we come from? You know, is it crazy that we're maybe alone in the universe or maybe not? So I... I would I put a call out there to future engineers to have the patience to do these missions and to keep exploring, even if you don't get results right away. I think that's a life well spent. Yeah. Like even if you even if you are contributing to something that you never fully get to appreciate, you still contribute. I mean, I like to think of that too in, in terms of what I do because I hope I see, you know, another moon mission maybe while I'm alive or or people walking on Mars, I'm skeptical, but I'd like to see it. So, But if not, I'll feel good contributing to an industry that might be able to do it someday. Yeah, I like that. That's a good place to end. Okay. Thank you for being on the show. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you to our producer, Andrew Marino. Uh, thanks to Autodesk Graphic for sponsoring today's episode. Graphic is a full-featured app for making icons, illustrations, UI and UX, or anything else you need out of a professional vector design app. It's available on your Mac, phone, and iPad, so you can design without compromise on the go. It's the vector design app you've been waiting for for your iPad Pro and Apple Pencil. Visit graphic.com to learn more about Autodesk Graphic. 
or find it in the App Store. And you know what? There's one other big thank you, and it goes to you, listener. You are who this is. Uh, oh, wow, that sentence really collapsed under its own weight. We do it all for you is what I wanted to say. Thank you for listening. You can find us here every Tuesday or maybe Wednesday sometimes on TheVerge.com or on iTunes on the podcast platform of your choice. Until next time, we will catch you later. Goodbye. Ba-ba-da-ba-da-ba-ba.